Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our session on the wage crisis. Uh, I'm honoured to be joined by two financial experts, Han Liu and Sunny Hamid. They've been with us for more than five sessions. Uh, we'll be talking about the recent wage report released by the Department of Statistics, which highlights the alarming wealth gap between the rich and the poor. We'll address the question of whether Malaysians are underpaid and the possible solutions that can be implemented in order to resolve this crisis. Finally, if we have the time, we'll talk about investing in general, what are the details that newbies should look out for, and how to plan their personal finance journey. So before we start the session, I would just like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Halogen Capital, the world's first Sharia-compliant crypto fund that provides institutional exposure to Bitcoin. Based in Kuala Lumpur, Halogen Capital provides quick and secure access to Bitcoin while removing the burden of buying and safekeeping coins. Conveniently enough, we have the founder here with us tonight, Han Liu. He's both a certified financial planner and a chartered financial analyst, and he's also the founder ex-CEO of Ringgit Plus. He used to work as an investment banker a few years back before deciding to help Malaysians make better financial decisions. Han, welcome to the session. Shinji, thanks. Thanks for the kind yeah, welcome. So, uh, Good evening, everyone. Would you like to you know, talk a bit more about yourself? Hopefully, the introduction done a bit of justice. And uh, what, what is Halogen Capital, this new startup of yours? I'm curious to know. Right. Thanks, thanks for the, uh, the kind introduction again. Uh, hi, hi, Shinji. Hi, everyone. Evening. Um, Han here. Uh, some of you actually already know my story because you guys might have heard about uh, from me in previous spaces, but here goes. Uh, I am Malaysian born and bred. I study in the UK for university. And then I worked as an investment banker uh, during, uh, before, during, and throughout the financial crisis in 07 to 09. Um, that was quite a fun time, I guess, uh, in the UK. Uh, came back to Malaysia in 2010, and over the last 12 plus years, uh, I've been a fintech entrepreneur, uh, investor, and you mentioned financial planner, yes, and, and also I had a stint uh, as a policy advisor uh, on the uh, National Economic Action Council uh, during the Mahate uh, administration. Uh, so in fintech, I was the CEO. Yes, thanks, thanks, Shinji. You mentioned it. I was the CEO of Ringgit Plus and, and founder of Genexu for, for, for many years uh, until 2021. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, Ringgit Plus needs not, not too much introduction. They were a, uh, they are a uh, Malaysia's largest uh, consumer financial uh, uh, comparison and application portal. Uh, and over the last 18 months, I've been working on uh, the new business, uh, Halogen Capital. Uh, so Halogen is Malaysia's first licensed crypto fund manager. Uh, we run crypto funds, unit trusts, and eventually, hopefully, e ETFs. Uh, so just like some of you buy stocks directly on Bursa, uh, some of you prefer to invest in unit trusts or ETFs, right? So in the crypto world, some of you will buy cryptos directly on exchanges in Malaysia, such as Luno or Synergy. And others may want to uh, invest in professionally managed funds like Halogen's offerings. Uh, our first couple of funds are quite simple. Uh, the Halogen Sharia Bitcoin Fund, a nice Sharia compliant, easy way to access Bitcoin without having to worry about you know private keys 
uh, 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 logins, all that kind of stuff. Just you get Bitcoin in a classic unit trust. And our second fund is the Halogen Sharia Ringgit Income Fund. Yeah, a place to hold your ringgit while waiting for the crypto markets to come back for you to go back in. Uh, so uh, uh, hopefully we can build up from there. And uh, yeah, that's that's a quick summary on myself uh, and Halogen. Yeah, thank you so much, Han. Uh, I think your connection is a bit bumpy over there because uh, you were a bit, uh, it's a bit of static noise and, and we, we could still hear you quite clearly, but, but maybe you want to switch to your data or something. We'll probably, uh, we'll definitely talk more about Halloween Capital near the end of the session uh, when we are exploring different investment options. So our other speaker here for the night, Mr. Sani Hamid, he's an economist, certified financial planner. I think the majority of you are probably, have probably heard from, from him before. He's a frequent commentator in the media, has over 30 years of experience in the financial markets, having worked for companies such as S&P Ratings as a director in the Sovereign Team overseeing the ratings of countries such as Indonesia, India, Malaysia, and Singapore. Yeah, now I'm kind of curious as to uh, what Malaysia's rating is right now. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sunny, welcome back to the session. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you, Sinji. Thank you for having me. And uh, congratulations to Han uh, on the new venture. Very exciting. I think it's on the right path. Um, um, digitization blockchain i think this is this is really the future and i really hope malaysia um moves forward uh, uh progressively or not progressively, uh, accelerates or move forward in this in this area because it's really one of those which i think uh, it's going to be a pillar in, in the finance industry so congratulations again and all the best um for myself um i think Sinji has more or less mentioned uh, um uh, kind of my background um, I'm also Malaysian, um, came down to Singapore after my SPM, been here all the while. Um, currently, my current position, what I do is basically I am the um, director for investment uh, in charge of uh, macroeconomics um, and also uh, asset allocation in general. So I will set the so-called viewpoints of the market. Uh, I will also then set the asset allocation um, in terms of how to allocate the, the portfolio. And then we have advisors, about 400 of them here in, 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 in Singapore and about almost 100 in Malaysia. Uh, these are the guys who will go out and do the typical financial planning uh, with their, their clients uh, based on these allocations and based on the client's risk profile. So basically, that's what I do. Uh, look forward to the discussion. Um, disclaimer is I'm not a I'm not a social economist. Means to say, wages is something I I, I track and look at. Um, but nitty gritty stuff, you know. Sometimes I may speak a little bit in general, but overall, I hope it will help to enlighten the discussion. Yeah, thank you so much, Mister Sunny, for the uh, brief introduction and also tagging along with your disclaimer real quick. Despite the uh, qualifications of these two speakers, they are both certified financial planners, yeah, nothing of what we're going to cover tonight can or be considered as financial advisor. So yeah, as you guys have heard, they are extremely qualified to tackle the major topics for tonight. And uh, we'll dive straight into it. The recent quarterly wage report released by the Department of Statistics showed that the median salary of former employees increased from 2,400 ringgit to 2,600 ringgit year over year in March. So you guys may view the data in our Twitter space. Huh? We've pinned it right there. And um, while this increase looks good on paper, deeper analysis of the data paints a very different picture. So when we tabulate the data into a horizontal bar chart, 
we can see that 82% of employees earn less than 5,000 ringgit per month. And a staggering 35% of the population, more than one in three Malaysians, they have a salary of less than 2,000 ringgit per month. So the distribution of wealth decreases exponentially as the salary figure increases, but it abruptly skews towards the rich, yeah, i.e. those people earning more than 15,000 ringgit per month, uh, which really just shows just how wide the wealth gap is between the rich and the poor. So Han, um, let's just start off the session broadly. Are we in a wage crisis right now? And are Malaysians severely underpaid? Oof, you, you start off so heavy hitting already. Um, I think wage crisis is uh, uh, one part of it. Right? There's two stories. There's actually a few stories here. Right? Uh, the first story that that it's not really told is that the, the statistics that came out, I think maybe it was yesterday, a few days ago, uh, last, uh, late last week, right, was for the formal sector. We haven't even gone down to the informal sector yet, right? Uh, we talk, uh, the formal sector means, you know, people in full-time jobs or, or, uh, or hourly jobs, but, but, but with, with uh, gainful employment. Right and uh, you know they it was a survey a uh, survey uh, analysis of you know uh, over six million people, but there are fifty million adults right. So where are all the uh, there are fifty million people in the workforce right? So where are the other eight point something million, uh, and that those people are in informal workforce. And I can tell you, uh, the some of the statistics there are equally if not more scary. Right? But but let's stick stick with this. Uh, you mentioned wages wage crisis. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, if the the statistics are, the statistics are clear. We, I guess we have to give some props to this government for actually revealing it. It's not. It's I guess they 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 take it as if uh, it's it's their first year, so they can afford to do this with and spend some political capital. But to reveal this is quite quite shocking, lah. To say hey, look, like things are bad, right? Generally, governments don't like to share that things are bad, right? What what do I mean by bad? You mentioned it. Median income for uh, uh, uh for wages is two thousand six hundred ringgit. Uh, what that means is half pe- half the people earn less than two thousand six hundred ringgit uh, uh, in gainful employment. So these are employed people, right? Half earn less than two thousand six hundred ringgit. That is that's quite scary. Um, and uh, I guess the second story, I guess the first one we mentioned about informal and formal, right? Let's talk about the second thing. Uh, another important step to note and was mentioned a few times in the media. And, and, and among a couple of the ministers and politicians was uh, that our compensation of employees to GDP, that is how much people, uh, goes to wages, is at a very low 32.6% uh, end of last year. And this is super low uh, in two ways. Number one, it's super low from the previous year. Previous year, I think we were at 35. Uh, uh, so we've actually gone down as the economy recovered. Right, meaning as the economy recovered, uh, let's just say employees did not uh, enjoy the bulk of it, the, the, that, that recovery. Uh, and the second scary stat, other than just things dropping, is that 32.6% to employees. Uh, keep in mind, then the other 60-something goes to businesses. Yeah, uh, um, Compares with developed countries uh, at, at closer to 50%. Meaning in developed countries, already their GDP is higher than us, right? Uh, 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 and this, and furthermore to that, you know, fifty percent of the 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 product or GDP goes to employees. Uh, uh, and even in in neighboring Singapore, it's over forty percent. So don't even count like you know, uh, developed, you know, 
liberal woke nations, just you know, a highly capitalistic country like Singapore, you expect you know, uh, employees to be pressured, I guess, to accept lower wages versus GDP. I'm not saying lower wages, absolutely, versus GDP. But in Singapore, Sunny, you, I guess you can confirm this, but it's over 40%, right? So uh, even compared to a very kind of capitalistic society, workers in Malaysia, 32.6 versus Singapore, over 40%. Uh, so that, those two are the, the points I'll say, look, the, 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 you know, to, to qualify the statement of, yeah, crisis. Yeah, it's uh, no doubt that we are in a rich crisis right now. And like what you said, uh, I find it really surprising to have the government review this statistic, but maybe it's just uh, probably a good step to implement more improvements. And just a quick comparison to Singapore, Mr. Sunny can correct me on this also because you are currently in Singapore, right? <laughs> the median salary as of 2022 is 5,000 sing per month, which means uh, 50% of the population earn less than 5,000 sing, while the rest of the 50% of the population earn more than 5,000 sing. That, that's, that's crazy eh, compared to uh, Malaysia's median salary of 2,600 ringgit. So yeah, uh, Sunny, over to you. Are we in a rage crisis right now? Are Malaysians severely underpaid? Mm, okay. Um, I mean, solely looking, looking at wages itself, um, sometimes it doesn't tell you the uh, full story. You need to kind of bring in other factors to, to see whether it's a crisis. So, I mean, just looking at 2006, um, you know, if the cost of living was well below 2006, then basically you it's not a crisis. You're earning enough. Uh, but Sad to say, um, and I think you may touch on it later, and you touch on it a little bit just now. Um, there was a survey to say that the cost of living is actually, what, 5000 something around there. Um, so it is a crisis because it just doesn't cover enough, or it's not enough to cover <clears throat> what we call the cost of living um, that, 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 that households face. So um, it could be a combination of cost of living has increased, but also the fact that wages are not high enough uh, to cover that cost of living. So I think in a nutshell, you could draw the conclusion that um, it is somewhat of a crisis because if you just cannot cover your cost of living um, um, financially, what it tells you basically is every single month you are raking up on your debt because clearly if you spend more than you earn, um, then every single month your your debt levels increase. That's the only way you can sustain uh, your 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 expenditure. So it is a crisis from from that perspective, in my view. Yeah, yeah. And a good measure of uh, whether Malaysians are underpaid is the minimum expenses required to survive, right? Yeah, we take a look at the uh, studies conducted by or uh, supported by EPF. It's the Balanjawan Ku study, which estimates that a single person living in the Klang Valley requires a minimum of a thousand nine hundred and thirty ringgit per month. So let's just round it up to two thousand ringgit if they use public transport. Now, the expenses jump to 2,600 ringgit for single people who own a car. Meanwhile, Bank Nagara Malaysia's recommended living wage is also pretty close at uh, 2,700 ringgit per month as of 2018. But, yeah, is this amount even enough to survive or not? 2,000, 2.6k to 2.7k. Uh, honestly, as a Malaysian right now, I don't think it's enough. Lah. So uh, what do you think, Mr. Sunny? At, at this salary, can Malaysians even afford to save? It, uh, you, you tell me <laughs> you're in Malaysia. <laughs> 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 I, 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 I was in JB earlier on uh, to see my dad. Uh, so we had a meal 
five people, not not, a, not even a fancy food place. Just you know, it wasn't those mama shops or stuff or or such. But it was just this 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 air conditioned place. You go in. They've got fish and chips. They've got uh, nasi biryani, uh, lamb shank, and stuff like that. You know, each each meal or each plate was probably about twenty to thirty ringgit. Drinks were about ten. So the five of us came up to about two hundred. Uh, two hundred and seven ringgit, all in all. Okay. <clears throat> it, it's not. It's it's slightly dollar for dollar compared to Singapore. Okay, dollar for dollar. It's uh, for the same type of place, which I can then relate to. Um, it's slightly more expensive. Um, probably you get it slightly cheaper in Singapore, but even if it's the same price, let's assume that's the case. Um, the fact is, wages in Singapore are much higher than that of Malay of Malaysia. So that makes the big difference. I mean, that's the primary difference. So we we often find things in Malaysia and Singapore fairly same, dollar for dollar. Um, but the fact that the wages are not dollar for dollar makes the purchasing power for Malaysians uh, one-third of that of Singaporeans in Singapore itself. So I think that is the key issue, which which is um, um, you know the million-trillion dollar question on how do we solve that. Yeah, when we're talking about uh, it being dollar for dollar, right? I, I, I don't think I quite agree with you, you know, Mr. Sunny, because I've been to Singapore just a couple of weeks back. Uh, and hawker centers, you can actually have a very nice plate of mixed rice for 3 to $4. Sing dollars, you know? I mean, in KL right now, if you want to buy a big plate of mixed rice with like two to three different vegetables, right? It can go to double digits really easily, ten or even eleven. I mean. mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, so right. I think that's a whole nother can of worms, right? Correct, correct, correct. So you, you've got pressure on the cost side, and you have upward pressure on the cost side, and downward downward pressure on the on the wage side. So it doesn't make to be a very good situation from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. So Han, um, same yeah. Part, yeah. I mean, just to just to just to let you know, so so sorry sure. to interject. So just to let you know the. Starting salary for a graduate in Singapore on average is about four thousand two hundred. Yeah, and depending on which um uh, uh what do you call which uh, type of uh, industry you're in, it could actually be more. So the thing that's very hot now in Singapore is of course IT, um, the digital technology, cybersecurity, information system, and such. And, you know, it's just mind-boggling. Uh, I'm just looking at the statistics. In 2020, the median uh, gross salary for graduates from the IT and digital technology um, cohort was 4760 2021, it was 5000 and now 2022 is 5625 um, We have graduates, and I saw this in the, in the paper, um, you know, uh, coming out and now uh, complaining that, gee, how can this be? I I I entered the workforce and I got five thousand, and the new the one year later, this guy enters the workforce and gets five thousand six. I'm behind him already, so it's the other way around. It's like here, people are like making noise because the cohort that comes after them basically just goes up by so much. So it's, it's again, we can discuss this later, why that's the case. But once you have what we call this kind of a bit of a mismatch, where the demand side far outstrips the supply, this is the scenario that you get. 
So anyway, pass it back to you first. Yeah, very interesting statistic that you mentioned just now. Uh, median salary, fresh grads, 4,200 sing. <laughs> Starting salary is already so high uh, as compared to Malaysia. Our minimum wage is still 1,500 ringgit. Yeah, Han, same question. Lah. Um, Bank Nagara Malaysia's living wage, 2.7k per month. EPF Belanjawan Ku study estimates 2.6k per month. Is this amount even enough to survive or not? Realistically, let's analyze it. And after this, can Malaysians even afford to save? Wow, so many layers to that, to that, that statement. I think uh, if you look at uh, both the Ben Negara and EPF uh, st- uh, studies, right? They, they said 2,600, but luckily that's for a single, uh, single individual, right? They even have an adjustment for married couples. They even have adjustments for married couples with children. So for example, the corresponding statistic for married couple with two children uh, uh, to have a meaningful or rather meaningful budget, uh, meaningful expense, right? Or rather be able to survive is the word you use, right? Or at least survive with some dignity. is 6,890 ringgit a month of spend. So you go back to what we saw, said earlier, right? The average income wage, sorry, the average wage, right? 2,600 a month. So just about there uh, for single. But imagine if you are married with two children, both earning this median wage, 5,200, that is way below that number of 6,890. And obviously, there's all kinds of permutations. One kid, two kid, one child, two child, single parent, senior citizen, that kind of stuff. But just focus on those two groups, right? Single person, 2006, just nice, met me just the medium. And married couple, 6,890. Even if you have two husband and wife working uh, at that median, right? 5,002. You, you, you cannot survive, lah, according to EPF. Right? And that's just that's, that's one part. Right? The second part, you, you think you cannot survive at 2006 as a single individual with, let's say, a car. 2006 puts you at the 50th percentile of wage earners. What about the other 50% of people you know, below you? right? So let's not talk about the, the 2006 number. Lah. That puts you in the well, bottom 50 or top 50, uh, regardless of how you think about it. Glass half full, glass half empty. Uh, uh, but that puts you in the middle, right? Imagine the fifty percent of people who you know are below you, uh, in that in that uh, if you can't survive, imagine that the other fifty percent of people, right, in Malaysia. And the, by the way, it's not just people, you no know, people who are earning money. So I'm not talking about children, not talking about retirees. We're talking about people who are earning money. Fifty percent earn less than two thousand six, and you know, if you struggle to save when you're doing at two thousand six, imagine. Uh, everyone less and uh, again I, we don't have to go through the individual line items stuff, but you know uh, you know you can you already said some numbers just now right you know uh, a meal five to ten ringgit you know three times a day uh, uh, housing transport etc you don't need to don't need to go through and you know that's tough but you know a, a word of encouragement to everyone out there right uh, if you are at 2006 right you know and you try to live like someone who earns 2000 400, that's 200 ringgit saved. So, you know, uh, uh, give a bit of encouragement. Any little save is, is, is a little that can go a long way to, to your financial future. So, uh, don't lose heart, you know. Uh, 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 I know it's tough. It's tough uh, uh, across the board, whether you're single or married with two children or more, right? But, you know, j- the minute you put yourself and think, hey, look, nah, things are not great for me, but... You know, where am I versus everybody else? Can I do better for myself, for my own future? I think that's, that's something to, to hopefully give you a bit of encouragement to keep going. 
Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Han, for the response over there. I think personally, I find it quite uh, satisfying or maybe a bit glad that the government finally brought this statistic up, which uh, previously over the past few years, right, um, the people who don't really understand the statistic and the wage distribution of Malaysia, right, they tend to blame it on the B40s, right? They tend to say that, hey, B40s, you guys don't have prudent financial habits. You guys don't know how to save. You guys spend more than you earn. Yada, yada, yada. That's why you guys are staying there. But right now, we are seeing kind of like a shift, right? Uh, B40s are there for a reason because uh, the reality is that Malaysians are severely underpaid. And you said it just now, uh, 50th percentile, 2.6K, 50% of the population earn less than 2,600 per month. And more than a third of the population, they are earning less than 2,000 ringgit per month, which is just uh, completely unlivable, that salary. Um, but let's get to the root of the problem here. How do we even get to this stage? And uh, are there you know, any sustainable solutions to this crisis that uh, not just the government officials, but you know, maybe citizens should undertake? Han, you want to take this question? Oh, um, how did we get here? How did, get, how did we get here is a long, sad story, I'm afraid. But I mean, I'll summarize in, in three, three key points, right? Uh, uh, number one, uh, uh, deterioration in our education strategy and outcomes, right? So we had uh, deterioration across the board, whether it's uh, the level of uh, preparedness for our, uh, our fresh graduates or, 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 or post-studies post, uh, post studies, uh, adults, uh, you know, poor outcomes and poor matching between skills required in the workforce versus skills that were uh, were, were, were being trained uh, in the education sector. Uh, poor outcomes when it comes to actually executing, right? Even though uh, uh, they had some semblance of a plan, the plan wasn't perfect because there was poor matching, but the execution very poor. Uh, uh, and I'll give you a, a sample, right? Like, uh, I think it was one of the uh, was the education panel that they uh, last week uh, attended by people in previous government and current government and they said hey look we actually had an education blueprint 2013 to 2025 after two years it was abandoned and, and not replaced uh, they just abandoned the execution right uh, so that's, that's that, that is bad lah, right that education was the key it is the key to unlocking social mobility high incomes why do I say that uh, not just uh, smarter people. It's more about skills, right? If you have skill sets which match, you know, a uh, 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 a high income workforce, right? You will have high income workforce, right? So that's kind of a uh, uh, cause and effect. So that's number one. Number two, how do we get here? I think starting to come to light, but I want everyone to remember this term. Malaysia uh, uh, gone through something called a premature deindustrialization. Uh, what that means is. It's actually okay to be less industrial of a con country uh, as you become a richer country, meaning you start fo stop focusing so much on like building stuff, making stuff, uh, and start focusing on driving you know, consumption services. That, that means your economy is quite vibrant really. You can really afford to do all these things. But if you, start, if, but if you close down or you de-industrialize de too early, right? that means you didn't get a chance to go into higher value manufacturing first uh, to create a richer workforce, richer cons consumers to then uh, provide them services. And for me, uh, 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 economy needs to not go through this premature deindustrialization. Like, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the developed economies had 
good industrialization, good industries, high value industries, then only they, they focus on the services and consumption sector rather than uh, what we went through, la, which is we, 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 we de-industrialized prematurely. And then I guess uh, the, the one that everyone kind of knows but don't know how to... The, the, the third and last point that everyone kind of knows but don't know how to put into words one is, uh, you know, you can call it uh, inconsistent policy, you can call it uh, uh, poor governance, you can call it whatever you want. But I think over the last 10 years, there's been very poor, not just uh, policy direction due to changing governments. Yes, there's one part, corrupt governments, one other part, but also poor execution, right? I think uh, uh, we, we, we lost things like the NKRA, tracking, KPIs, planning for our economy, and, and, and that, that, that also came down to poor planning for us uh, as a country. I think uh, there's so many other reasons, but I, I will summarize those three. Like one, uh, educational outcomes. Number two, premature deindustrialization. And number three, uh, poor policy execution and tracking uh, across our economic sectors. Right? So that's how we got there. Uh, sustainable solutions. Uh, um, I think it's a whole other session. But but let's just, uh, as in the solutions to fix those three things, right? Number one, fix our education outcomes. We need bipartisan support. Both governments, whether it's current government, future government or, or not, doesn't matter. Both sides of the aisle need to come together and say, hey, we need to fix this. This is how we think we want to collectively fix this, right? And regardless of which government is in charge, we will, we will continue this. Uh, we were very good at that the past three years with uh, with the semiconductor stuff, right? Changed government three times, but semiconductor is still going strong, right? Uh, that kind of stuff. So why can't we have that for education for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? Uh, and then likewise, the other two stuff. Uh, there's so much to say, but I'll stop there and, and pass it on. Yeah, uh, good point you mentioned on the uh, policy and the politics not being consistent. Yeah, so... Our education system itself in Malaysia is also uh, can be quite inconsistent. Also, I mean, compared to the years I studied ago, uh, so many years ago, and right now, right, I, I'm also kind of confused already. Uh, Mr. Sunny, same question: uh, uh, How did we arrive here, and uh, plausible or possible solutions to this crisis? Okay, <clears throat> no, I think Hans touched on 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 everything and totally agree, hundred and ten percent on what he mentioned. So I'm going to pick up on some of the things that he mentioned. Yeah. Um, how we got here as an economist, I like to bring in demand and supply as usual. So if you have low wages, then basically it's a function of either you have very low demand or very high supply. And going back to what Hans has mentioned, so you can basically say they may be, uh, they should be what we call uh, uh, this location between what the education system is producing compared to what the economy can absorb or what the economy actually needs. Um, and I want to bring in, <clears throat> let's say, for example, the, the Singapore example, since I'm here. So one thing I noticed about Singapore basically is, you know, once they've set what we call um, pillars of growth in their so-called uh, uh, economic plans, you tend to see that permeate all the way down, not only to the university level, but even maybe even to the secondary level and sometimes even to the primary level. Because they know very well that they cannot leave it to chance. They cannot leave it to like, you suka buat apa, you buat apa lah, you know. 
And then if you end up with a whole bunch of people going to arts, a whole bunch of people going to accountancy, a whole bunch of people going, you're just going to miss that so-called um, pillars that's been set. A lot of thought has gone into where the economy is heading to. And yet you go and study something which either totally doesn't relate to it or relates somewhat but very little. And that is where you have oversupply even though the demand is there. And therefore, the cohort, like I mentioned earlier, you know, um, certain cohorts would do extremely well because demand is because demand is so high and supply is so tight. Uh, so you know, in so right now, the market always adjusts for itself. Right now, we have a lot of people looking at the numbers, seeing how currently um, the starting salary is so high for IT. We have a lot of people going taking up IT. So in about two three years time, you'll find that supply will come in to help to meet the demand that is currently here and in the future. So the market will always adjust itself. But if you skew it too much and you don't guide it, um, you may have this uh, artificially low salaries that ought not to be the case itself. Okay. Number two is the, or rather still on this subject, uh, on the demand side. It could be also a case where the industries. Um, and this one, I, I, I stand to be corrected. The industries in Malaysia basically are not high value add. So basically, if you were to even get a job, um, it's just that it's it's in an industry where the pace is like that. <laughs> you, you don't really get a lot, you know. Um, and so therefore, that is a function of policy. Um, if the governments prior to this um, had actually set out um, to move the economy up the value chain um, to do the sums to say that, look, we've got so much um, um, graduates coming out. Most of them are in specific areas. If we find, you know, uh, IT and so on, then we actually need to have um, industries to, to, to accommodate, to absorb um, these, these, these outcoming uh, graduates itself. So it could be a, a situation where the um, the economy is not structured in a way to absorb uh, the, the the graduates, even though those graduates are high quality and such. So you end up with people who are IT experts or IT degrees and such, but you can't find a job because there's just not enough IT jobs out there. So this is really that demand and supply thing where, where it just isn't... Although I've spoken about... Um, education um, on the policy side it's just not um, or rather let's put it this way it's, it's multifaceted the tax department has to come in how do we promote this kind of um, uh, uh, um, industries the economic department has to come in which are the uh, and, and, and I think recently they did you know these are the pillars that Malaysia has competitive advantage in over the next um, 10 years how do we then set the education system from now, from here, university all the way down to secondary, even to primary, can we guide these kids to tell them that this is this is the areas that you ought to be going in? We won't force you, but this is areas that we will guide you and and promote these areas. You know, um, how do we ensure that every single government sec uh, government department is focused on on getting this this side of the equation correct? You know, so so I think that's really the 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 government side, the policy side, um, and like I say, the supply side would be the the education. So when you get that right, I think it it solves a lot of things. You know, the 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 part where 
I'm very worried about is the execution. Um, um, Hans mentioned it. Because when I look at the documents that the current government has come out, you know, um, and I look basically, I read through documents such as this because in my prior uh, job uh, in the ratings agency, we used to have to go through all these kind of longer term documents. Um, and to tell you honestly, if I put plans that Malaysia comes up with, with plans that basically maybe even Singapore and some other countries come up with, they look quite impressive and side by side, they look very, there's very little difference. Um, that means a lot of thought has gone through. A lot of uh, bright people have 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 sat down to give it a thought. Of course, th- there are certain things which Singapore may have done better, but you know the differentiation is not very stark in that in that manner. So I always believe that Malaysia, in terms of its brain power to analyze what in, what needs to be done, where we're heading, how should we get there, what are the key markers and such. I think all those. Is all those are basically well thought through and well planned out. It's always the execution. It's always when it comes to the ground, on the ground, some of these things just don't make it through to deliver what was planned originally. Or in the worst case, like Hans mentioned, every time there's a change of government, every time there's a change of minister, everybody wants to come up with their own plan so they can be known as the minister that has his 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 um, uh, um, a major breakthrough uh, a plan and such. It, it it just doesn't work that way. So what we have is we have these truncations of plans. We have failed delivery. We have low low quality delivery, and and so on. And that really is something which spoils it all. You know. So all of this, I think, uh, leads to what where we are today, in my view. Um, um, Hans mentioned, and just to wrap it up the transition of the economy. True, very true. You just look at China. China, 10 years ago, started off basically what we call um, very infrastructure in- intensive. Um, in economics term, we call it um, um, very high fixed capital formation growth, um, building of, of infrastructure and so on. And that really generates a lot of um, uh, uh, growth in the economy. And now they've shifted over to the consumption side. Um, so the biggest thing now is is when you shift over to the consumption side, then the, the burden falls on the consumer. Is the consumer strong enough to spend to enable the economy to grow? Because we know that uh, GDP, after all, is a, a consumption indicator. Um, in Malaysia's case, if the consumer is weak in this particular case because uh, salaries are low, you will find that it, it will impact growth going forward because you just cannot depend on, on, on infrastructure spending um, to carry through the economy. Once you start shifting to consumption, the consumer has to pick up the slack. Um, so that's a key thing that um, uh, we need to unravel. Um, I'm happy to say things that I'm, I'm hearing out from the current government um, from an economic perspective, as an economist and my personal view, um, they seem to be okay. Um, things which I think is, 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 is in line with, if, with what I would expect um, uh, policies to be in order to tackle the current situation. Back to you. Yeah, uh, I like the part where you mentioned that the uh, plans are very nice, but the execution is a whole other story. Uh, and considering how often we change our government over the past two to three years, uh, it's really no wonder that you know we are we are kind of in a wage crisis right now. But there's also a whole other angle here that we can take on a wage crisis, right? That is, uh, if we look at the uh, current minimum wage 
at a different perspective. Right? So uh, current minimum wage in Malaysia is 1,500 ringgit per month. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mr. Sunny, Singapore, they do not have a minimum wage, right? Yeah, no, no. Yeah, so, so here's the thing, right, uh, that uh, Economy, Economy Minister Rafizi Ramli pointed out. Um, the issue is that employers use this 1,500 ringgit minimum wage as a reference, as an anchor for all the employees out there, including those people who are skilled and unskilled. Okay, so imagine this person is a fresh grad, he studied four years in Taylor's University, studied engineering. Okay, come out, he wanted to work at an engineering firm, and then the firm tells him that, hey, I'm going to pay you 2.4k per month, that's the fresh grad salary. And then the, 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 the guy says, hey, it's not really fair, and then the employer says, it's very fair already, because if you take a look at the minimum wage, it's much higher than the minimum wage. So just keep quiet and work as hard as you can. So then we end up with, you know, IT students being paid 2.4k, engineering students being paid 2.4k, uh, lawyers, doctors, dentists, etc., etc., the, uh, the whole bag or the whole job system, uh, which is probably maybe the cause or the root of the wage crisis that we're seeing. Han, you, you want to take a bit of bite on this uh, juicy debate over here? Yeah, very juicy because, I mean, I, I know uh, our uh, economy, uh, economy minister, Rafizi, said it, but he didn't share specific, I mean, he shared very anecdotally, he didn't share any specific uh, data to kind of prove his point. Uh, and, and for me, I personally think, you know, like if you look at the, 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 the wages statistics for the first quarter, right, there's something interesting which, I'm not sure everyone spotted, but I, I spotted it. So if you look at the, I added it to the chat here. So if you look at the, the chat at the bottom of bottom right corner of this, um, of this space, you'll see why it's spotted, right? Which is a huge bump from last year to this year in terms of uh, uh, uh salaries, right? And, and what you see is, uh, uh, sorry for those who you who are, who are there, I'll explain what it means. A huge bump where lots of people who are earning less than one thousand five hundred. That's the in for those looking, it's the orange dotted line, that was last year, gets bumped up all the way uh, above 1,005. So clearly, uh, there's some impact to very low wage earner, right? Suddenly enjoying uh, a minimum wage. And then you go, oh, you know, but what is the employer fund, uh, federation going to say? You know, it's going to bankrupt a bunch of employers. Sure, it might cause trouble to some of the less efficient ones. But if you look at a uh, 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 contribution of GDP, right, to uh, uh, to employers versus employees, that 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 actually has not the minimum wage last year did not uh, uh, change that uh, in the way that you might think. In fact, it, it went the other way, which is less compensation to employees. So for me, uh, the numbers don't really jump out to to kind of say what 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 our minister uh, to to prove what our minister said. You know, so we just have to take his word for it. But you know, I can see uh, uh, where he's coming from. But one thing I'll say is. Number one, minimum wage, I think probably net-net positive based on the results from, from last year. Uh, they should probably just keep, keep on going this way. You know, you know set out a 10-year plan saying, okay, we're going to increase it under ringgit a year for 10 years, uh, this minimum wage. Uh, and eventually, it starts looking like a 5% increase or 4% increase, which starts looking like inflation, right? Uh, which, is, which is, I don't say fine, but it's one way to, to tackle this problem. The difference is, uh, sorry, the problem is Progressive wage model as it stands today, if we're going to implement it like Singapore, 
does not solve the problem for who you mentioned, doctors, lawyers, engineers, IT, IT people, electrical engineers, right? Why? Because the progressive wage system handles or is targeted towards uh, 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 lower wage, blue collar income earners. So in Singapore, I think they, they uh, study, correct me if I'm wrong, but they, they even classify down to the exact activity, cleaning, retail worker, right. uh, a landscaper, Yep. Uh, 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 yeah, and then within the, the cleaning industry, they even specify where you're cleaning. Are you cleaning a toilet? Are you cleaning a table? <laughs> Are you cleaning a win- window? Right. And, and, yeah. and for me, it's <laughs> and for me, it's about it's about. Uh, 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 I don't think the progressive wage system is going to solve the problem about uh, highly skilled employees being underpaid. I think that one just needs better un- unionization, right? So that's kind of a different solution to the problem. Uh, but the progressive wage system will assist those who are currently very far down the wage scale, right? So the guys in that uh, coming up from 1,500 to the 2,000 range, how do I get them further up? How do I give them a pathway? So if I'm a, a cleaner, uh, I get 1,500 today, right? With the progressive wage model, maybe I graduate from cleaning toilets to, to cleaning floors and whatever, whatever that that. that that, that pathway is I go from 1005 to 1008 to 2000 right I start to- to- toilet cleaners are actually the second tier the first tier is the general cleaner <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> no problem my, my, my knowledge of cleaning <laughs> the, the cleaning ladder is not, not so I also but, just found out <laughs> yeah. but, but for example like with the progressive wage model there's a path towards skillful cleaners if, if there's such thing and I'll explain what that means so for example you know there's it's not just cleaner cleaner right we, we think of cleaners as just somebody with a cloth and a bucket, but no, right? There are those who can operate the heavy cleaning machinery, right? You know, you, you've seen those uh, either in a shopping mall or in a car park, right? Where it's a large cleaning machines, right? And those people are slightly more skilled because they can handle that heavy equipment and they deserve higher salary. And I think that's what the progressive wage model is meant to do, which is say, hey, look, you have a pathway. You are a cleaner today, but there's a pathway for you to earn a higher income. And that's what PWM is supposed to do. Or at least that's what it does in Singapore. And uh. I think it needs to go hand in hand with two other things. This continued increase in minimum wage, we do it progressively, uh, gradually, not like last year one shot, whack from 1002 to 2005. It's more like, okay, this is a plan. We're going to pause this year, but next year, every for the next five years, increase 100 ringgit. So at the end of 2029, it's 2000. Whatever that, that, that number ends up being. Plus progressive wage model, Plus, a uh, um, uh, 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 unionizing of, of, of highly skilled employees, right? Those people should not be outright uh, 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 taken advantage of, right? If you are a highly skilled doctor, lawyer, uh, uh, auditor, uh, uh, engineer, right? There should be, there should be protections for, 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 for against employers who are trying to uh, take advantage of, of 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 you, right? Because you are a skilled employee, right? And you should start understanding you that as a skilled employee, right? There is a global market for your skills, and, and I think for me, uh, so far, the based on last year's results, twenty twenty two, minimum wage went up, but yet compensation to employees as a percentage of GDP went down. So, uh, I'd say get the employers foundation federation to the table, get the unions to the table with the government. Three party agree on something and, and agree on those three things, right? Minimum wage, progressive wage, uh, a role of unions. So that's what I would say. Yeah, the um, pro- the minimum wage right now it just seems to be doing more harm than good to, especially to skilled workers. Okay, because 
like, like, like what the economy minister Rafizi Ramli highlighted just now, which I'm still grappling with it, uh, is that the employers tend to use it as an anchor, as a reference. But for uh, blue-collar workers, for low-skilled workers, that needs to be implemented. Now, Mr. Sunny, um, Let's let's track back a bit. Let's talk more about the uh, progressive wage system, which Han gave a glimpse just now. Uh, what exactly is it? Because you're currently in Singapore right now, and what is uh, about all this toilet cleaner becoming expert cleaner, <laughs> even having a PhD yeah. or whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Talk talk to us more about it. Talk to us more about it. <laughs> I mean, uh, thanks thanks to you, I've I've just done a bit of a research on it. I mean, I had I was an ex- expert. I'm no expert now even, but I can just give you an example. <clears throat> um, coming off where, where Hans mentioned the example of a cleaner. So um, what it, what the progressive wage um, is doing is exactly what Hans says. It, it charts out a path for the individual worker to actually progressively get higher wage, but in tandem with higher productivity or higher skill levels. So on the cleaner category itself, at the very bottom, roughly at about 1,005 or slightly or below, you'll find that it's a general cleaner. So the general cleaners get that amount. Then about 1,006 or even 1,007 is where you graduate from being a general cleaner to what they call um, uh, toilet cleaners slash um, um, healthcare cleaners slash a little bit more specialized type of cleaners. I think outdoor cleaners also falls in this second category itself. Uh, so you probably need some training, some special skills, um, uh, in addition to the general skills, uh, which means that you would have to go for training, you have, your productivity would have increased. Then comes the third category, about 1,009, if I'm not wrong, that would be where you operate machineries. You know, those people who sit on those small little vehicles which have spinning mops and so on and so forth. That one probably about 1,009. And then you go to the supervisory level, which is again slightly above 2,000. So, so basically what progressive wage basically does is wages increase, but at the same time, productivity increases. Because in economics, what you don't want is you don't want wages to increase, but productivity lags or even declines, then you're going to have a big problem. The, the, the best way to explain this is um, to give you an example which people may be a little bit more familiar with, I hope, which is debt to GDP. Uh, and this is like uh, government debt, hutang, yeah, as a function of GDP. So debt is the numerator, um, and, and GDP is the denominator, right? So basically, so when 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 people say um, governments take on debt, um, people tend to get worried because they say, oh, you're taking on so much debt. But as long as debt translates into productive use, or you use the debt productively, and you create faster growing GDP then basically that, that percentage, debt to GDP, actually declines. Despite the fact that you're taking on more debt, but because the denominator is actually growing much faster than your numerator, your debt to GDP actually at the end of the day goes down from 65% of GDP to, 50, to 60% to 55 to 50%. So same thing with, with wages. Wages going up is not an issue as long as productivity goes up in line with wages or even faster than wages itself then you'll find that basically you have basically um, uh, much more much more imp- output, sorry, much more output despite the fact that your costs have actually increased. So that's a good thing for, for, for companies and for the country at large. Yeah. So again, agree with Hans, this will help the lower income 
guys um, bring up their 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 salaries from that base level of thousand five ringgit and so on. For the guys on the top top end of the spectrum itself, um, I think unions are are something. But at the same time, I think um, one other answer to it could be transparency of wages itself. Um, sometimes wages are sticky because of the lack of information. And that's why sometimes when we want to switch jobs, you keep on surfing the net, looking at what is the um, what is the uh, potential wages being being paid in my the competitor or the place I want to go to. There's even websites I can't, I can't remember the glass glass door or something where where employees will kind of uh, uh, tell you what the the the, the employer is paying and so on. So in in economics, um, um, one of the things which prevents economies from um, moving to equilibrium is what we call um, wage uh, rigidity of wage or wage are just becomes inflexible uh, in uh, less flexible and one of the reasons is because uh, lack of information um, so all this talk about uh, making wages more transparent across industries like you know without naming names I presume um, um, will alert employees who are more skillful who can um, um, better negotiate their wages uh, to then when they make a move to make a move based on um, better information you know and not just thinking as, as we tend to always do that oh I need to set my wage expectation lower when I move because otherwise they won't hire me um, in, to, to, or to be honest with you once you have the skill once you have that value uh, it's the other way around yeah, you always set high and assume that people want you, um, and of course you may get it wrong every now and then. <laughs> but, but, but you know um, that is the correct approach when you are skillful and at that at that level. So at that level, yeah. Yeah, uh, Mr. Sunny, just to keep you there yeah. before I pass the ball to yeah. Han, um, is the question about progressive uh, progressive wage system. Okay, because uh, yeah. a lot of people are talking right now is to raise the minimum wage and also like what you said just now, uh, increase the wage at the same time, increase the productivity of people also. But uh, mm. are we considering the impacts on the economy, you know, i.e. Uh, prices and inflation? So if we increase the minimum wage today, if we implement a progressive wage system, uh, will it not, you know, at the end of the day, raise the spending power of Malaysians and ultimately, you know, increase inflation mm. again? And then we're going to back to a whole mm. other spiral mm. because, you know, we raise the power, no. spending power of Malaysians, yeah. then prices go up, etc., yeah. etc., et because, because uh, as I just mentioned, your cost increase, but your productivity increase. So your unit of production increases. So your cost per unit of production, in theory, if both of them go up at, at the same rate, remains the same. So for every unit you produce, if your cost, sorry, for every unit you produce, the cost itself um, divided by the number of units that you produce, which also increase productivity, uh, your unit cost of that particular product um, doesn't increase. So, so in theory, in theory, as long as the productivity increase, not it's not bad. You know, you don't have to worry too much about about um, um, your unit cost increasing, and therefore um, produ uh, producers will push it over to consumers. There's cost push inflation, as Of course, you know, to a certain extent, it may happen and such, but it won't be runaway type of. You know, if I'm a if I'm a employee, sorry, if I'm an employer. And you force me to increase wages, and yet I can't sell more units, or, or my 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 workers don't produce more units. 
you know, then I'm going to pass that course over to the consumer. Mm, yeah, that's quite true. Yeah, so Han, I think a similar question also, if you increase the minimum wage, implement a progressive wage system, and uh, tick all the boxes which we covered just now, will it, you know, not raise the spending power of Malaysians, at the end of the day, increase inflation again? Yeah, I think you think you look at who you're increasing the the wages for, right? Like if you're looking at minimum wage, thousand five hundred ringgit, any increase there, where 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 is this extra money going to go? Probably, uh, highly weighted towards basic goods, you know, food, clothes, basic, very basic stuff, right? Uh, most likely food, transport, clothes, right? Uh, housing, uh, at that level, right? And let let's let's just drill down on 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 significant thing which is food right which is a big focus uh, 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 for uh, someone in that income category getting an extra 100 ringgit extra 200 ringgit right and, and what we've seen with this kind of inflation of basic goods right the main drivers are not so much about uh, demand demand food it's really around um, uh, 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 the supply side and you say okay but wages are supply right true but you look at the, the 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 contribution of wage versus raw materials into that supply, right? So for me, it was really inflation for us, right? Uh, is really driven more by that rather than you know things like minimum wage, right? So you look at you look at um uh, uh, uh minimum wage increasing last year. Was that the cause of inflation, or was that our soybeans corn increasing the price of our 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 chicken? Was that uh, for increase in cost of fertilizer, uh, increasing the cost of all our, our planted our agriculture products, right? Things things like that, rather than so much demand pull. There is some, but for, for sure the because of subsidies here, you know, uh, uh, raw materials as a unit of supply is is a far bigger factor. So for me, uh, I'd say do it progressive uh, gradually. Progressively is dangerous word to use now. Uh, use it, do it gradually. Right, and if you find that, that there is starting, you got you get the marginal increase in inflation starting to bite. That's when you you take a step back and say, "Hey, look, like you know, we planned this for five years. Cool, we stop here. Um, you know, and let let productivity catch up on itself. If in fact, uh, uh, uh there was no corresponding increase in productivity, but you got to start somewhere, right? And you might as well start the place where 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 people need to put food on the table, minimum wage. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, so very interesting session we had so far. And uh, for those people who are in the audience, yeah, this is an open session. We are now gradually going to transition into the Q&A session. Uh, if you have any questions, do just send us a DM, a direct message. Uh, if you want to stay anonymous, just say that you want to stay anonymous. Uh, alternatively, you can also comment your questions on the bottom right-hand corner of the space. Or if you are feeling, you know, a bit more confident or yourself, you're not that shy on speaking in public, you can actually request to be a speaker and uh, talk to these speakers uh, yourself regarding tonight's topic. So the next part of the session that we are going to transition into is more towards the citizen side. Uh, what, what can we do? Okay, so actually what can we do as citizens in order to lessen the impact of the wealth gap on ourselves, especially for those people who are currently earning less than 2,000 ringgit per month? Yeah, so Han, any advice for people earning less than two thousand ringgit per month? What 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 should they focus on right now? Wow. Um, okay, it's very yeah, tough one. But I mean, in short, I'll say, uh, if you are 
uh, in the lower range of income earners, you don't need the progressive wage model to come into force to do the things it wants to achieve, i.e. set you on a path towards earning a high income, even if you are in the blue-collar range, right? So classic example, you're a cleaner, right? Get an opportunity to learn how to use those machines, right? Get an opportunity to learn how to, 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 to clean more efficiently, better, right? And then uh, that increase in, in ability, skill, uh, capability will should translate to increase in, 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 in income, right? And if it doesn't, keep going, keep, keep going, find an employer which values that. Why? Because it is more productive, right? So they should be valued higher. Uh, if you are, let's say, in e-hailing, try and save up as much as you can, get into e-hailing. It's something that you're already familiar. You get a bump up in income. If you're in e-hailing already, you know, save up, try and move up the, move up the categories. For example, like, you know, uh, I, I know for a lot of the e-healing providers, they have the basic category, then the, the, the next level up earns you higher income, then the next level up. So you don't need the PWM, the, the wage model, to, to, to be enforced for you to progressive wage model yourself, right? And, and, and if you're a retail worker, right, uh, 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 learn some sales skills, upselling uh, adds, uh, adds income to the business, which should translate to you and if it does not, you can go and find another job which does because there is no business owner who doesn't want uh, more sales, uh, especially driven by existing employees, right? So things like that, right? Uh, if you're a clerk or, 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 or uh, uh, administrative person, learn stuff like, you know, basic accounting. Uh, or if, if not, then stretch scheduling, drafting, uh, Excel, anything that gets you up the skill ladder. The whole point here is not for me to tell you what to do. It's more like, you know, in yourself, like we talked a bit about progressive wage model, right? And how it aims to increase skills and increase productivity to increase your wage. Do that to yourself, right? Self-progressive wage model yourself is the, as in, is, is what I can say uh, in terms of increasing your income uh, from your current level, right? It doesn't matter whether you're in 1,500 to 2,000 to 2,500 ringgit to 3,000 ringgit level. You know, you can do it to yourself. Don't have to wait for the government to implement it. Yeah, those are great points and examples you covered, which is, you know, basically not to be stagnant. Yeah, in your current job, be it a blue-collar or white-collar job, uh, always be eager to learn and upskill yourself, right? Do the progressive wage uh, model on yourself. Learn to be more efficient in what you're currently doing, like what Hans said just now. And eventually, you can either, you know, negotiate a better pay from your current employer or perhaps move to another employer that really treasures your efficiency. Yeah, Mr. Sunny, same question. Um, advice for those people who are currently earning less than 2,000 ringgit per month to lessen the impact of the wealth gap on themselves. Mm. Um, you basically have two, two variables to play with, uh, income and expenditure, right? So if you really want to, to survive, it's either you reduce your expenditure, and I know I'm going to get a lot of flack from everybody because it's just so difficult. A lot of these expenditures are very sticky. So Hans has, has really covered the, 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 the answer, which is you probably have to try and find a way, find ways uh, to increase your, your income. And you're, I think this generation, although times are tough, um, you're lucky because there are multitudes 
of ways to increase income unlike my generation back then when I was your age no such thing as you know uh, getting these side incomes from grab or or, or from even um, posting stuff on 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 um, on the internet and stuff like that so there are many more ways you just have to be sometimes innovative um, um, and 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 this may apply to people who have less skill sets or people who have skill sets who are more in the professional domain, then my answer would be increase those skill sets to make yourself basically indispensable, to make yourself marketable. Um, uh, when you reach a certain point and you feel that your employer is not, pay, um, um, is, is not paying you what you think you're worth, then look for a new employer. Um, I know it's easier said than done, but um, it, it. I just give you the example of myself. I, 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 I'm not a job hopper, when I like a company, I stay very long. I've stayed in two companies for 15 years, the current one, and prior to this, about 10 or 12 years. But in between, I have uh, hopped, so to say, every two years, every two years. Um, and because either I've, I've come to a point where I said, okay, my skill set now allows me to be worth much more than I'm paid, and I know this company can't pay me, so I go and look for a place to go to. You typically, at my my rule is typically I would go to foreign companies because I, I know for the lack of, I know, maybe controversial and such, uh, they tend to look more at skills um, and therefore um, they are very open to, as long as you're, you, you, you can show and demonstrate that you're, you're skillful enough and such, that you have the experience and so on, um, they, are, they will pay you, you know, uh, they can pay you basically. Yeah. So sometimes you need to be selective where you go um, um, and hopefully, I mean, again, with a bit of luck and such, uh, you may be able to, to, to hop to a better job, better paying job itself. Yeah. So these are things, and, and, and I, I have not done it, but I've seen also um, um, courses come out, like, you know, um, learn cybersecurity over the six months, nine months, 12 months, get a diploma or get a certificate. These are also things which you may also want to consider, especially if you're in the middle part. Uh, where where you may not be a so-called I won't say professional, but you've not invested so much so that you're now you're entrenched in your job, you may still make a switch, um, um, and therefore you may want to switch to areas which, in the coming second half of your career, uh, may provide you with much better prospects. So that's also one way of of, of looking at it. So many many ways. Um, I guess it really depends on on individuals. Yeah, the part where you mentioned on uh, looking for foreign employers, right, is uh, really self-explanatory. Yeah. It becomes quite clear on uh, why you went to Singapore for the past 20 or 30 years <laughs> when you're a Malaysian. It's <laughs> uh, looking for international pay. And, and I can tell you, it's really true. Uh, uh, foreign employers, especially Singapore, right, they, they are really looking into hiring talent. And uh, for those people in the audience, if you feel that you have uh, a lot of talents that could be of use, maybe you can try applying a job in Singapore and, you know, work out a deal, work from home, live in Malaysia and spend Singapore's salary. That's the dream. Right? You can basically live pretty much like a king over here. Really, right? So, I mean, that, that is actually a good yeah, point. It's way yeah. that, uh, who was it that um, mentioned that to me? I can't recall. But someone was saying that, um, and it's quite true, when they spoke to Malaysians working here in Singapore, um, and they were asked, 
what what pay cut would you take to work back in Malaysia? Um, to work back in Malaysia, basically. And the majority of them said two-thirds. So basically, uh, if you gave me a job in Malaysia, which is two-thirds of what I earn in Singapore, I'm willing to go back and, and, and work out of Malaysia, or rather work in Malaysia, not the, not the same job in Malaysia itself, as long as I get two-thirds. So, so, so I guess, you know, um, it's, 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 and it's something which um, my company itself had, had experienced. Uh, we had a lot of Malaysian employees, not a lot, but basically we had Malaysian employees who during COVID went back to work in Malaysia um, and of course did what we call the so-called uh, work from home um, kind of arrangement. Um, when, the, when COVID ended, um, basically they felt very comfortable we felt very comfortable that they could still deliver despite working from home. And so therefore, there was a negotiation where I think salaries were decreased or, or reduced okay, for the for the reason that they are now no longer physically here. They're working from Malaysia. but And again, I don't know. I'm not privy to the uh, actual salary uh, negotiations because it wasn't my department, but operational. Um, but I'm assuming even at two-thirds of what they earn in Singapore, now they are with their family in Malaysia, um, um, you know, cost of living maybe I won't say high, but with a Singapore salary, um, is 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 fairly okay. Um, the arrangement is a is a good arrangement. Yeah. So yeah. So whether it's trying to get the arrangement, I don't know whether that's easy, but I do know for a fact um, that a lot of Singaporean companies are opening up um, branches in Malaysia. Uh, in order to take advantage of, of cheaper Malaysian labor, so to say. And they do pay above uh, Malaysian rates because they're coming from Singapore and so on. So there are these companies which you may want to aim for. They are the, they are the usual MNCs like Facebook, Amazon, or whoever is in Malaysia, that Tesla, whoever you also may want to aim for. And so you work towards that because these are the companies who will pay you uh, above the norm uh, in Malaysia, I guess. Yeah, and probably the dream scenario is to be able to negotiate some sort of work from home type of thing and, and you basically get to enjoy a Singaporean salary and spend it in Malaysia. Yeah, three, three point what? 3.4, 3.43, right now. Yeah, okay, uh, on to our second last question. And uh, by the way, guys, for those of you who are in the audience, uh, we're going to transition to Q&A session soon. Any questions, please just uh, don't hesitate to DM us or you can volunteer to come up as a speaker, ask the questions yourself to these speakers. Alternatively, you can also comment the questions in the bottom right-hand corner of the comment section in this Twitter space. Yeah, another method to probably transition out of a lower salary range and lessen the wealth gap uh, is to invest, right? It's to start early and consistently invest, use the power of compound interest, yada, yada, yada. And uh, on this topic, what should people look out for if they are just beginning. Okay, let's say they're, they're just newbies. They don't really know a lot about investing. Uh, what are the most common do's and don'ts? Yeah, we're going back to the basics over here. Uh, Han, over to you. Ooh, okay. Financial planner hat on, is it? Um, I think uh, before you start investing, you got to you make sure you got your basics sorted first. What do I mean by basics? Uh, the first is to have, to make sure you have a monthly surplus. It means you know, uh, are you spending more than you earn? If you're not, 
that's good. If you are spending more than you earn, that's not so good. Try and turn that around first. Don't have time to go through all the strategies to do that, but you've got to do that first. Make sure you have a monthly surplus. Uh, why do I say that? Because if you start investing without a monthly surplus, soon you're going to have to sell your investments to fund your, your deficit, right? So then no point investing. So first, make sure you have a monthly surplus. Uh, second, with that monthly surplus, make sure you have a cash reserve first. Meaning, you know, even if it's a 500 ringgit, 1,000 ringgit, 3,000 ringgit, whatever number, uh, for emergencies, someone crashes your car, uh, uh, you're waiting for insurance, uh, but maybe you can fix it first and get back to work. Or someone, or maybe there's a big uh, issue in your house, got a big leak, need to fix. Uh, you know, make sure that you don't have to sell your investments to cover those kind of things. That's what an emergency buffer is for. Uh, if you're thinking of in investing, make sure you have an emergency buffer. If it's not, Six months of salary is fine as long as there's something there, even if it's 1,000, 5,000. You know, anything is better than nothing. Uh, third step, once you've got your surplus, you've got your, 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 your emergency buffer, uh, make sure you have uh, 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 medical and life insurance sorted. Why? Anything happens to your income, uh, no point investing. You'll have to sell those investments you know, to fund uh, illness or injury. Uh, make sure there's insurance there. Don't have to do investing uh, in, uh, investing through the insurance policy. Get it just for the protection, right? And then you can cover in case anything bad happens, right? Protects your investments in case something bad happens, you don't have to sell it. And then, fourth only, start thinking about in the investment part, right? There's a few ways to go for it. You can do it yourself. Like I said earlier, go to Bursa, buy some stocks, you know, get some gains, all that kind of stuff. But one warning, right? Even experts, and definitely me, struggle to beat the market. Right? Uh, 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 for me, if you're a beginner to investing, you know, uh, yes, follow Shinji at The Futurists. But, uh, uh, but, but um, you know, for me, classic advice, you know, go with you know, a diversified portfolio. Uh, um, what I mean by that is mix between local and overseas investments, mix between... Uh, equity and fixed income and, and crypto nice diversification across the board uh, you won't go too far wrong right you might not have the number one best best portfolio best investment strategy but you know by, by going with a diversified portfolio of, of, of those things uh, you can't go too far wrong right and last I guess word of warning watch out for scams it's all good investing uh, investing well you sorted out your emergency funds insurance settled but you know Trying not to get scammed. There's two types of scam: the fear-based kind. Uh, you know, people threaten their police, LHDN, report you, pay them something, uh, and the greed-based scams. Those, the ones that tell you, you know, you make double, double next year. Uh, that kind of stuff. Be careful of those. Uh, so yeah, five, five tips: surplus, cash reserve, insurance, uh, stay diversified and consistent, and last, watch out for scams and uh, stay with licensed player. Yeah, uh, the, the, the gauge that I would like to use uh, when it comes to looking out for scams uh, is when it's too good to be true. Uh, okay, and, and the reference that, that I tend to use is the current OPR. So Bank Negara Malaysia's OPR is 3%. You kind of expect uh, the products out there to give you roughly 3 4 5% yield. Those are the uh, steady yields that we're kind of expecting in money market funds right now. Yeah, Versa, all these cash apps, they're giving 3-4%, right? And, and some of the FDs, they're also giving 4%. Uh, when you have a product, when you come across a product uh, that gives you, that guarantees you 8 
10 or even 15%, yeah, guarantee without any losses, uh, then there is a big red flag there already because you know what is the current most sustainable rate that uh, uh, money market funds, uh, which really follows the current overnight policy rate is, is at right now. So, yeah, I pass the ball over to uh, Mr. Sani. Uh, same question, investing for absolute oh. beginners. Okay, uh, just let me touch on the scam part because uh, there was a headline, I think, yesterday or the day before uh, here in Singapore that um, there's an increase in youth depression um, because many youths have been scammed. So it results in, you know, a uh, low sense of uh, self-dignity and so on and so forth and worthless and such. So it is actually something which is, has translated into a mental health issue here in Singapore, the number of scams and such. Anyway, um, full marks for Hans. Um, he's a CFP. I'm a CFP and seeing him go through one by one, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I was going to say. This is what I'm going to say. I've got nothing left to say anymore after he said everything. <laughs> so exactly everything that he said would have been what I, I would have said uh, um, given this topic itself. Like the only emphasis I would have would put is basically on the insurance side. A um, couple of days ago, someone <clears throat> DM'd, DM'd me and, and asked me about, you know, I'm, I've just started out. Um, how do I invest and such? And it's very typical of a lot of people when they come to me because I'm an investment person to tr to can kind of ask me how do I invest, where do I invest in in what do I invest in, so on, so on, so on, so on. Um, and I always tell them like you know, have you done your insurance? And everybody's like, you know, why are you talking to me about insurance when I'm asking you about investment? Are you an investment so called expert? You know, and I say look, look, basically. You can do everything right on investment. You can make your 20-30% returns every year and so on and so forth. All it takes is one big hospital stay, one big outlay because you are now in a vegetative state, you need high intensive care, whatever the case is. All it takes is one of those things and you your whole plan or your whole dreams, financial dreams get knocked out because you just haven't prepared yourself. And even for graduates themselves, and even if you're just out new into the into the workforce, you're not married, you're single, you say, I want to make my million to retire fast as fast as possible. Why do I have to worry about insurance? I don't have I don't have beneficiaries. You forget also basically that you know you don't necessarily die if you get knocked over walking across the street you become uh, in a vegetative state uh, guess who looks after you your parents you're already working you know you're like you're supposed to be a responsible person your parents have brought you up over the past 20 over years put you through school and now you're burdening them with looking after you because you made the mistake or some drunk driver smash into you and you're now in a vegetative state and you've left your parents with the burden financial burden of looking after you uh, that is that is irresponsible so go out there, prepare yourself for you know TPD, total permanent disability. If you die off, it's fine. But if you don't, that's going to be very useful for your parents. Prepare yourself with your hospital plans so that you don't get stuck with a huge bill that's going to throw uh, throw off your 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 financial objectives and so on. So do place a lot of emphasis on this 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 part. Uh, when it comes to protection and such. I just wanted to re-emphasize that part, but every single point that Hans has put out is uh, valid points uh, overall. Yeah, uh, make sure, for those of you guys who have not looked into insurance yet, maybe now may be a, a good opportunity. Like, we're not selling you guys anything. Uh, uh, we're not insurance agents over here, so just go and Google search, find an insurance agent. Uh, try to at least have a medical insurance like, so that, you know, touch wood, in case you, you, you are dealt with a very heavy hospital bill, you don't have to, like what Hans said just now, liquidate your investments 
in order to pay off such a huge sum because you know looking at how prices are so high across the board right now yeah you know going into a hospital is definitely going to bite into your pocket yeah so uh our last question of the night is actually towards uh, Han's new uh, startup, Halogen Capital, which according to the website is the world's first Sharia-compliant cryptocurrency fund, provides institutional exposure to Bitcoin. Yeah, Han, so uh, let's, let's talk about Halogen Capital a while here. Let's take a couple of minutes. What should investors know about this fund if they are interested in learning more? Can they actually invest in it already? All right, thanks, thanks for the shout-out. Shinji, uh, yep, um, you know, we are, uh, we are Malaysia's first uh, crypto, licensed crypto fund manager, so we're licensed, fully licensed by the SC. Uh, for, for Sunny's benefit, it's uh, uh, equivalent to a LFMC in Singapore, so a licensed fund management company. Here we call it CMSL, Capital Market Services License. Um, we have specific approval to run basically crypto unit trusts. So our first one is very simple. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it aims to invest substantially in Bitcoin. So I, I, I don't use the word Bitcoin tracker, but it gives you a sense of what it is. And um, um, uh, 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 for, for those of you interested, uh, it's, it's currently a wholesale fund, which means you need to be a sophisticated investor. Um, and the minimum entry is 10,000 ringgit. Uh, it is uh, the, the world's first share compliant Bitcoin fund, uh, um, as far as uh, everyone's told me. Uh, I haven't found any uh, which are not, but uh, but yeah, so happy to to answer any more questions. We we I mean this is just the start. We're, we've got a few more products to come. Uh, Lots more on the roadmap. The objective, I guess, is to make crypto investing not just trading, but investing uh, safe and easier for everyone, individuals and institutions. Yeah, so Han, the common probably misconception about uh, crypto is like you know it's volatile and. You know, quite a lot of people still thinking that it's a scam, but uh, we covered this in quite a few of our sessions very briefly previously about how you know investing a tiny bit into crypto assets can it can actually reduce the overall volatility of your portfolio. Would you like to elaborate a bit more on that? Sure, sure, sure. I think um, the thing about crypto is is there there are two main risks. I guess there are many many other many risks. But the two main risks that people like to focus on is, uh, uh, number one, uh, 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 market risk, right? So you mentioned volatility, uh, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, large drawdowns. Uh, yeah, I mean, but, you know, the, these, if, you, if I say the word risk, uh, 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 investment expert will hear the word volatility and then they'll know exactly what to do with it, right? They, they, what that means is I size it up within my portfolio, uh, look at the correlations between the asset class and and other assets in my portfolio. If there's low to negative correlation, then actually uh, a little bit of that asset, despite the high volatility, adds a lot of value to my portfolio, right? Because yeah, you're thinking, hey, in times where there's lots of distress in the markets, this asset might go the other way and vice versa. But in the long run, I should get a pickup, right? On a risk-adjusted basis. So you might end up, you know, uh, uh, with one, two, three, four, five percent of, of crypto in your portfolio. Uh, with a lower risk, lower volatility in your portfolio, yet a high return, which is for me the holy grail. Um, and, and the other risk, I guess, a lot of people are, are concerned of when, when they talk about cryptocurrency as an asset class. Mind you, I, I'm talking as an investing asset class, uh, not as a um, uh, not 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 as a kind of 
a, a specific asset, uh, 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 you know, uh, against things like monetary debasement, uh, self, self, uh, uh, what's the word Self-governance and stuff like that. It's purely as an investing asset class, right? Uh, a big concern, big risk is uh, 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 things like a uh, counterparty uh, uh, specifically relating to scams, cybersecurity risk, uh, uh, third-party custody, right? Somebody else holding my asset, right? And for me, uh, our aim is to uh, uh, address that second risk, right? Which is, you know, we've got a, a, a licensed manager, which is ourselves. We've got a registered trustee, uh, both securing the asset. Uh, with a global custodian. So for me, that's the kind of uh, three-party, no one-party uh, can run away with your coins kind of situation. Uh, we are bound by local regulations around uh, unit trust. That means that funds don't sit with the manager, they sit in a trust. Uh, and, 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 and investors' uh, uh, funds are essentially uh, uh, protected, secured by the trustee, right? Uh, rather than Trust me, the manager, right? Don't you have to trust me? I don't hold the coins, kind of thing. So that's the kind of uh, uh, couple of things that I want to say. Like one, uh, market risk, it is well known, it is quantifiable, it can add value to a portfolio. Uh, and the second risk, uh, which we as an institution try to, try to mitigate or at least eliminate, eliminate if not mitigate for, 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 for investors, right? As an investing asset class. Right, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Han, for the explanation over there. Uh, for those of you guys who are interested to learn more about Halogen Capital, I've pinned the tweet over here in the Twitter space. So go and check it out, guys. They're also doing like some uh, daily market updates or something like that. Yeah, Han, I saw, right? You guys are doing like uh, daily market updates on the, uh, on the uh, economy and stuff. Is it daily or is it weekly? Oh, weekly. weekly. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, all right. So uh, with that, let's transition into the Q&A session. Uh, again, for those of you guys who have any questions, do not hesitate to DM us the questions or you know, just step up, uh, apply to be a speaker, I'll approve you guys, and we will talk more about uh, this wage crisis over here. So the first question commented from Ashraf. Uh, just wondering if to increase the wages is quite hard in the short term between the stakeholders. Can the government give incentive to the companies? such as giving trainings, any benefits, some portion of money to invest. Mr. Sunny, you want to take this question first? Uh, yeah, definitely. And I think if I'm not wrong, they probably have that in the pipeline. <clears throat> so uh, whether it's, um, and I think Rafizi mentioned it, um, fiscal spending, some of the fiscal spending will be shifted um, towards incentives for the companies. Um, to undertake these kind of schemes that the government introduced. Um, so definitely, um, I think that will be the way, the path, um, a kind of like um, you help the worker, I will reward you. Um, so the government effectively subsidizes the worker to a certain extent, uh, but it's giving kind of the push um, for, for, for the employer uh, to take part in, in those schemes. So yes, so the answer is uh, definitely, I think that's the path that they will go down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Han, you want to take this question also? Increase the wages quite hard in the short term. Government, they need to give incentive to companies, giving trainings, benefits, uh, some portion of money to invest, etc., etc. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, you look at today's announcement on how we might implement the progressive wage model and I was hoping for a, a fuller statement. Uh, having been in those meetings with the Majlis Tindakan Economy, 
I know it's a very, very big, long paper. Uh, I would like to hear, to see some parts of the paper taken out to, to be announced. Uh, but, but it's okay. Like, if, if Singapore is a model and it's a pretty good model to, to, to look at, uh, you can be sure that uh, uh, one of the statements mentioned was it was is voluntary and guidance based means you you uh, the government is guiding right and making it voluntary and actually you go like hey voluntary means no need to follow right well in Singapore they 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 they, they give you things like progressive wage like a stamp for your company if you are so then consumers know that I will support you because you support progressive wages uh, then there's things like uh, credits for for training credits for uh, for employing. Uh, workers within that model uh, so like Sunny said the, the model exists in Singapore take the best parts implement it here uh, and, and parts which are maybe not so suitable for us we have we don't have specific roles that maybe Singapore has uh, um, uh, then then uh, keep, keep, uh, take those away and then keep, keep the ones that are, are useful for us but I think uh, for me the bigger thing to focus on is minimum wage because that's the one that will drive our uh, our, our median up, right, and and give more, uh, give give more breathing room to those people who are currently us right, or is being taken advantage of, uh, and, and basically just say, hey, look, like that's not acceptable, uh, 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 you know, and 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 keep in mind that also in Singapore, right, there is a incentive to hire local. Right? So yes, they say, hey, if I increase my minimum wage, uh, then then companies will just hire from abroad. Uh, foreign workers drive down the wages, uh, yeah. But within the model, there is an incentive to hire uh, local workers in Singapore, right? So likewise in Malaysia, I think that needs to be part of the 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 thinking that needs to be part of the policy, lah. So just to protect against uh, 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 exploitation is the word I want to use. Yeah, protect against that. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, okay. Uh, on to the next question for the night. I think this is probably the second last question already. Uh, it's from Rada. So what is the long-term goal, increase wages and getting larger tax base? Currently, personal tax base is 10 to 15%. What is the tax base of SMEs in Malaysia? So uh, very scattered at the question. Um, maybe Han, you can take this question. I, I don't really grasp the context of this question. Sure, sure. I think this is a separate but related problem, right? Which is Malaysia has a very, very small taxation base. We are at about 11%, I think, not personal, but taxes as a whole, right? Uh, as a percentage of GDP. So for me, um, I think minimum wage might not help so much, uh, but because, like, uh, you know, our minimum wage is not close to our personal income tax wage uh, uh, threshold right now, which is closer to 4,000 ringgit, right? Uh, if you count all the reliefs. Uh, but I think the long-term goal to answer the question is uh, uh, equitability in our economy towards workers, right? A, a, a developed economy has worker uh, compensation between, uh, you know, 45, 50%. We don't have to get there tomorrow. In the next five years, we can slowly get there. But for me, like, if you look at examples from across the world in terms of minimum wage and how that's impacted, uh, 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 companies, uh, economies, right? Like especially those that that are driven by consumption, right? Um, uh, progressively increasing the minimum wage, actually, whether it's correlated with or caused causing, uh, uh, you know, stronger economic growth in, in those in those countries. For me, staying at a low wage, 
is is kind of uh, it's it a downward spiral from there, right? How low can you go, right? For me, uh, just watch inflation, yes, but you know uh, we need to increase our minimum wage uh, uh, gradually, right? and that should be uh, a positive impact on our economy due to increased spending, increased uh, uh, social protection because people are able to save, all right, and that should provide a ballast for our economy. So, and, and that increases taxes. But I, I don't think that's the end goal uh, of doing this, to, to increase the tax base. Uh, it's really about uh, increasing the equitability in our economic structure at the moment, just to give, give everyone a, 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 as, as good an answer as I can give la, for that question. All right. Thank you so much, Han. Um, now we are down to our last question, which uh, I will just uh, pass it over to Mr. Sunny over here. How much are wages affected by cultural or psychological makeup? Wow. I.e., are populations with higher <laughs> confidence, uh, generally Westerners, paid more than low-confidence populations? Wow, this is quite an interesting topic uh, because I think it's true, you know. <laughs> I think Westerners, they, they yeah. get paid more than us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. to you. Uh, what we say? Pandai. Pandai cakap. <laughs> yeah, pandai cakap. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's, it's, it's not, well, let's put it this way. Like, as long as you can speak well, communicate well, <clears throat> sometimes it makes up for the lack of skill compared to another candidate. Another candidate may have a better skill set than, than you, but if the other candidate cannot at, at the interview or at least cannot um, um, argue his case and or, on why he should deserve the job or why he should, should deserve higher pay, then it boils down to communication. So yes, I agree. Um, one of the biggest mistakes in, in my life, which if I had uh, can turn back the clock and turn around, would be actually this. I've always been a bit shy. Again, whether it's cultural and such, I've done, I've worked extremely hard. And at the back of my mind, it's like, oh, my employer will recognize me when it comes to the um, actual um, um, evaluation at the end of the year. And then what happens is um, I get disappointed <laughs> because I don't get as much as I think I deserve. You know, and my colleagues sometimes I I kind of sense they get paid more, you know, and then I I submit my resignation because I want to join another company and the other company is is re recognize they recognize my worth, and all of a sudden this employer says stays back I will match whatever this other company is paying you and I'll match even a little bit more and I'm like why didn't you do that at the very beginning, you know so instead I had to go and and threaten to resign and throw in my my resignation letter before you so yes it is an impediment that we um, probably culturally face um, and it's something that we ourselves need to overcome. Um, Self-confidence, lack of confidence that uh, we are worth uh, and we should demand uh, um, what we are worth um, uh, because it is an important part of this whole thing about career, advancing our career. You know, I think long gone are the days where we just sit back and hope that people recognize our capabilities. Um, we have to market our capabilities, basically. Yeah. Yeah, words of the wise over there. And um, make sure you... Yeah, after Kana for so many years, then <laughs> words of the wise. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Com com comes with age. Comes with age, Mr. Sunny. <laughs> uh, but better to learn a bit of qualities from the Angmos over there to be able to be more, you know, outgoing, talk a bit more about your talents to... Uh, promote yourself in order to uh, go out of the the lower salary bracket. 
But yeah, that that. Mm, but, yeah. but 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 like what like what I say, I mean, um, I had the privilege, or and also had the had the um um blessing to work with foreign companies. First company was actually Malaysian in in Singapore, but thereafter it was uh, I'm just going to go through very fast American. Uh, French, back to American, then after that British, uh, British slash Australian, and then back to basically American and now Singapore, Singaporean. But you see, in between, it was basically a lot of um, foreign companies where, again, um, from the work-wise, um, they do recognize your work, they do, they are able to pay, but that I would have probably... Um, gotten more you know I would think so if I had marketed myself a lot better yeah okay if we could reverse the time you would have uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you were 25 years old right now but yeah uh, I think that brings us close to the end of our session already let me just really do a quick summary of what we've covered uh, in this close to two hour session it's been really enjoyable yet another uh, insightful session so yeah it's no doubt that uh, Malaysia is in a wage crisis right now uh, with our median salary of 2,600 ringgit per month. Half of the population is earning less than this amount while the remaining half earns more than this amount. Really highlights the very wide wealth gap. Okay? The solutions to this crisis is to gradually implement a progressive wage system. That means you increase your productivity while increasing your salary. Uh, focus to raise the minimum wage first to ensure that, you know, those poorer people have enough to uh, support themselves and also enforce consistent policies and education. Yeah. Uh, when we move on over to citizens, what can we do in order to lessen the impact of the wealth gap on ourselves and transition into a higher salary bracket? Well, first of all, learn to upskill yourself. Okay? Never be stagnant. Uh, learn to be efficient in whatever you're doing. Uh, always be eager to learn. Yeah, then after that, start to negotiate a better pay with your employer if you feel that you deserve a better pay. Okay, Better to raise the issue up. And uh, ultimately, if you don't get the pay that you want, maybe try and look for an employer that appreciates your current talents or just go and apply a job with uh, Han or Mrs. Sunny. Maybe they will appreciate your talents. Okay, If you have a talent in one of the areas that they're currently working on or maybe just work in Singapore. It's a three times higher uh, currency compared to Malaysia. Another method to transition out of the uh, lower salary range is to uh, start, start your investing journey right. Okay, and a lot of people, they tend to just jump right into investing straight away without considering the fun fundamentals. Yeah, the first fundamental that Han mentioned just now is to ensure that you always have a monthly surplus. If you're currently spending more than you earn, you should first figure out how to spend less than you earn. Okay? Then work on your emergency funds have at least something in order to cover for an unexpected event. Uh, the norm is to have roughly six months of your salary, but if you have about 1,000 or even 5,000 ringgit, that's good enough. At least it's better than nothing. Uh, next is to have insurance. This one is what a lot of people tend to skip. Uh, at least have a medical insurance so that, you know, touch wood, anything happens to you, you don't have to pay a large hospital bill. Then the last step is only you, uh, is when you start to consider investing into different types of assets, etc, etc. And especially if you have a sum of money and you really don't know where to invest after you've ticked all the previous boxes already, do not hesitate to consult a financial planner. Yeah, these two speakers over here, I think they are accepting direct messages or you can just message us. We are not financial planners, but we will direct you to one. Okay. So uh, I think that really wraps up the entire session for tonight. I will pass the last words to both of these speakers. 
Uh, Han, any last words for tonight's session? Yeah, I think just uh, given tonight's uh, kind of titles, wage crisis, right? It can be very disconcerting. It can be very demoralizing, demotivating to hear all this, right? So sorry if I made you feel that way. But I think like not all is lost. Just remember, you are in control of your own uh, uh, future, right? Uh, your income may not be where you want, you want it to be, but you can do something about it, right? And if you feel exploited by your employer because they don't value your skills, despite increasing, just remember, right? A smart business owner will reward employees which bring value to business with their skills. So in continue increasing your skills, you can make a difference to this race crisis, it's not, it's not something that you can't do anything. Remember, we are all part of this, uh, you know, uh, uh, median, right? We all make up this median, meaning we are on either the left or right, or right in the middle of this median. So we can do something about it, uh, each in our own way. So keep fighting, guys. Uh, and, you know, as always, as Shinji said, uh, my DMs are open. Just shoot me something, got a question. If I can answer, I'll answer. If I cannot, I'll maybe point you to someone who can answer. Yeah. So thanks, thanks, thanks again, Shiji, and thanks everyone for this. Hey, no issue, um, Mr. Sunny. Last words for tonight's mm. session for the youngsters. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, no, thank you very much for mentioning the youngsters. Yeah, um, go and have a thorough look at the current latest economic plan, the Badini was it transformation plan or economic plan and such identify the sectors that the plan has put in place to be the so-called uh, anchor sectors for the economy over the next five, ten years. What I've seen so far in the short period of time that this government has come into power is that they are modeling themselves based on a few key countries. One of them is like Singapore. So good things we follow, no issue at all. That, having said that, that would mean that capital, infrastructure, everything will be focused on those sectors itself. And I told you about the example where IT in Singapore now is just so hot that um, you know, salaries increase way above um, uh, what the norm is. It's really high, but it's even higher than that. So what I'm trying to say is if things go according to plan, these sectors boom, there could potentially be a shortage because, again, those, you know, I don't think everybody's going to focus on these sectors. So if you're there, um, there could be a so-called demand and supply imbalance. So if you're lucky, um, you would actually benefit from that. Um, and, it's, and you can rise extremely fast when you're there at the beginning because I've seen it before. Uh, Singapore, in terms of being a financial sec uh, sector or, or, or uh, center, uh, I was lucky to a certain extent um, to be at a point where it was booming. And in, in, a, in a situation where there's a shortage of experienced people in a sector itself, companies will just line up and, and, and pay, pay to, to get you. You know, so you really want to be in that situation, and you can only be in that situation if you put yourself in that situation. Uh, so study, study the plans well. Um, uh, make a plan yourself, um, and then it would probably narrow the odds in your favor that you will do well in the future. Inshallah. 
Yeah, uh, thank you so much for the points over there, Mrs. Sunny. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the session. And if you could, uh, if could, those people in the audience, if you guys could do us a small favor, just give these two knowledgeable speakers a follow. It really just takes two seconds. Click on their profile, then click follow. And at the same time, right, follow us at the Futurist as well. You will not want to miss all the financial content that we post. So, uh, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining. Uh, once again, uh, thanks so much, Han, Mrs. Sunny. Uh, goodbye. Good night. Stay safe out there. Thank you.